Good morning, Grace Gospel Church. So nice to see all of you this morning. We're back on our series on Abraham, the father of the faithful. This is part nine. We have just a few more messages to go. We'll finish up. Our brother uh, uh, Gilson will finish up the fourth Sunday in May. That'll be the final uh, message on Abraham. Today's passage, as you noticed, is perhaps not the most uh, sunny passage. It's a passage of judgment that deals with judgment, God's judgment on the cities and the people of the valley, the valley that Lot had chosen for himself when he separated from Abraham. It's a well-known passage. Obviously, we didn't read it all. We don't have time to read it all, but you have the basic idea of what happened, what led up to the destruction, the actual destruction itself, and the aftermath. And then we read some New Testament scripture together because as we're going to see, Sodom and Gomorrah was always intended by God to be an example of God's holy and righteous judgment on the ungodly. And we're going to see that comes right from Scripture. If you like titles to messages, the title of today's message would be God's Faithful and Righteous Judgment of Sin. God is not just faithful in keeping His promises. He's also going to be faithful in preserving holiness throughout eternity. God's promise does not exclude judgment. And we're going to see that as well from one of these verses. In Genesis 18 and 19, the verses that we had before us and those in between which we didn't have time to read, God is revealed as the faithful, righteous judge. So many people today, they just view God as, oh, a God of love. My God will never condemn anyone. Well, maybe your God won't, but the God of the Bible, the one true God, Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, will condemn and will judge. And we saw it in history, actual history that took place in space and time. In Genesis chapter 18 and 19, it will happen again. Everyone will stand before God in judgment. God will be revealed, not only in this passage, but throughout eternity as the faithful and righteous judge of all. If you take only one thing away from today's message, let it be this. One day, you too, myself as well, all of us, you too will stand before the righteous judge. That, that's very sobering. That's very sobering. When I, when I was a new believer, when I was 20 years old, over and over again, my elders would remind all of us, young believers, that one day we will give an account to the faithful and righteous judge of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at these verses that our brother Joe read for us under three main headings. We're going to see that God's faithful righteousness is concerned with the judgment of sin. It, it is not just an afterthought with him. He is concerned with sin. We're going to see the stage set for that. 
And then we're going to see that God's faithful righteousness lies behind his judgment of sin. This motivates his judgment of sin, that he is holy and righteous and cannot tolerate sin. He's patient with the sinner, but one day the judgment will fall just as it fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. God's faithful righteousness will result in the judgment of sin. There is no other possible outcome. There's not a plan B. There's not a second option. There is no hope for the sinner, the unrepentant sinner, but the judgment of God. So let's get right into it. God's faithful righteousness is concerned with the judgment of sin. Thus far throughout our teaching on Genesis and the first eight messages beginning in Genesis 12, we've seen God's faithfulness to Abraham in his promises and his blessing. And now we see a different side of God. But it's a side that fits in perfectly, dovetails perfectly with his blessing to the faithful his blessing and his promise to his children. He cannot allow sin to coexist forever with his children. God is concerned with the judgment of sin at all times. Verse 16 begins with then. Then, remember what happened just before that? Abraham prepared a meal for his guests. They were partaking of a meal. God Manifest as an, a man and two angels. They were fellowshipping together. Abraham was talking with them. It was a wonderful, blessed time. And yet, even in a time like that, where God was reassuring Abraham of his promise, even in a time like that, God had not forgotten about the need to judge sin, to keep his promise pure, to keep the children of his promise pure. Then, at that very time, in the midst of that fellowship, the men rose up, the two angels rose up and looked down from Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham, what I'm about to do, God does not hide the fact that he will one day judge sin. It's throughout the pages of Scripture. It's in the teachings of Christ. It's throughout the epistles and in the verses we all read together in Revelation chapter 20, that final great white throne judgment. God doesn't hide the fact that he will one day judge sin. If you can't think of a single Bible verse that reminds you of that, I will give you something that will always remind you that God is serious about judging sin. The cross. If you can't remember a Bible verse, you point someone who you are sharing the gospel with, you remind yourself with the cross. Sin was judged at the cross when Christ became the sin bearer. When, according to Paul, 
He bore our sins in his body on the cross. God made him who knew no sin to become sin, to be sin on our behalf. Christ experienced the wrath and judgment of God. He experienced that judgment to provide a way of salvation. God doesn't hide the fact that he will one day judge sin. If there's ever any doubt, look to the cross. He judged sin in his son on the cross. If he would do that, do you think he'd refrain from judging sin in you and I or in the unbeliever? God will one day judge sin as part of his promise, blessings, and his covenant. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since. Here's the reason why. He would not hide from Abraham what he's about to do in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, just as God had promised. Abraham wasn't going to do this on his own. This was God's promise and blessing upon Abraham that this would happen. And in him, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In the New Testament, that last part refers to Jesus Christ, the seed, singular, of woman who would come and provide salvation, not just for the Jews, but for all the peoples of the world, whoever will believe in him and trust in him for salvation. The judgment of sin is part of his covenant. It's part of the new covenant. At that last Passover, the first Lord's Supper, in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, take this, share it amongst yourselves, eat. This is my body which is broken from you. And after that, he took the cup. And after blessing it, he passed it to them and he said, drink from this cup. This cup is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. Judgment of sin is part of God's covenant. It will always be part of God's covenant. He judged it in Christ. He will judge it in every single person. God will one day judge sin to motivate and ensure righteousness and fulfill his word. This is why he judges sin. He says in verse 19, he gives the reason, for I have chosen Abraham, I have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. God is concerned with righteousness and justice. And righteousness and justice is what is needed for the Lord to bring upon Abraham what he has spoken. And so he will judge sin to ensure that righteousness will prevail. He did it in this passage, and he's going to do it in those blue verses that we read together. There will be a judgment so that righteousness will prevail throughout eternity. God hears the cries for justice due to sin. 
the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. God does hear the cries for justice. If you are being oppressed in some way or Christians in different parts of the world, God does indeed hear that cry. He's not deaf to it, just as he was not deaf in this passage. The scripture says very clearly in uh, the prophet Malachi, the Lord says, I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews chapter 13, speaking of Jesus Christ, says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, yea, and forever. God and Christ do not change. The God of Genesis 18 and 19 is the same God today, the same God of the future, the same God of eternity to come. God does hear those cries, and he responds and judges in his time. Whose cry did he hear? The scriptures tell us whose cry he heard. It was Lot's cry, according to Peter. God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah, reducing them to ashes, an example of what is to come for the ungodly. I told you that Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction was an example to all the ungodly of what God will one day do according to Revelation chapter 20, the verses we read together, the great white throne judgment. You doubt that God will judge? Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what Peter is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of what is coming for the ungodly. If you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you haven't trusted in his completed work of salvation on the cross. What's coming for you? What's waiting for you is an eternal destruction like what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's true, it's going to happen. And Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of it. Where are they today? What great cities are they? They were so prosperous in Abraham's day. Lot chose them for prosperity. They're nowhere to be found. Their destruction came. Let that be an example. Please, turn to Christ. Trust in him alone and what he did. He underwent the judgment that you and I deserved. That cross was meant for me. That cross was meant for you. But he was nailed to it in the place of the sinner. Please, let Christ be your Savior rather than your judge. Turn to him. Cry out to him in faith. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Believe what he has said about you. 
that there is none righteous, not even one, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ said in the greatest sermon ever preached, you are to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect this morning. No hands, no hands. In a group of honest people, there'll never be any hand raised. That is God's requirement. You couldn't expect less of a perfectly holy God than to expect perfect holiness, but none of us are. So he sent his son to be our savior, to be the savior of the world. Just as the Lord rescued righteous Lot out of Sodom, he rescues everyone out of that judgment that ends in the lake of fire for all eternity. He rescues everyone through the cross of Jesus Christ. See, Lot was oppressed by the unrestrained conduct of filthy people. This was not his first cry. He was oppressed day after day after day. Why he didn't leave Sodom, I don't know. Okay, the scripture doesn't tell us. But he was oppressed while he was there. He was oppressed by what he saw and heard. Oh, that God would allow the sin of this world and our own sin to oppress us like Lot was oppressed. That we might turn from our sin, walk in righteousness by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he gives us that power to do that. Because, brothers and sisters, if you've trusted in, in Christ, and you have, that judgment that's coming is not going to fall on you. He's already rescued you out of that coming judgment through the cross of Jesus Christ. That is good news. That's why we call the gospel good news. You're saved, you're delivered. You're a child of God. You're not going to be any more part of that great white throne judgment than Lot was part of the judgment and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Praise the Lord for his goodness to us. Lot was living among them, and he felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from a trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who indulge the flesh with its corrupt passion and despise authority, reckless, self-centered. He's not just talking about Adolf Hitler there. He's not just talking about Vladimir Putin there. The self-centered. Who amongst us was not self-centered? And even to some degree after salvation, we still focus on ourselves too much at times. The Lord knows how to rescue, and he did it by the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John writes also in his first letter, in this is love. 
Not that we loved him first, but that he loved us and sent his son. He sent his son out of an abundance of love for us before we ever loved him. God demonstrates his own love toward us, Scripture says, in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. God will one day judge sin based upon intimate knowledge. He says, I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, Lot's outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know it. Remember those blue verses that we read? The books were opened, and everyone was judged according to their deeds which were written in those books. God doesn't just make things up. God has a record. Whether the books are literal or not is not the point. The point is, is that it is absolutely certain and recorded, even if it's only in the infallible memory of God or if it's in some sort of book. God judges according to knowledge. It is absolutely certain there will be no denying it when the Lord brings a charge. There'll be no way to deny it, no way to escape it. It is certain he judges according to intimate knowledge. The psalmist says, before there's a word on my tongue, thou, Lord, O Lord, knowest it. God knows what's even in our heart before we speak. He knows it. God will judge based upon intimate knowledge. God will one day follow through with his promise to judge sin. Then the men turned away from there and went to Sodom while Abraham was still standing with the Lord. Abraham's still with the Lord, and the angels are going down. God will shortly thereafter destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and all the peoples of the valley and all their fields and everything that was there. God will follow through. He's not going to be dissuaded. He's not going to be, uh, he's not going to forget about it because such a wonderful time of fellowship. There will be a day where God will judge sin. Paul preaching in Acts 17 said this, God is now declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent for he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the man which he has appointed, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. That's Jesus Christ, of course. God has already fixed the day. It was fixed when Paul preached. It was fixed from eternity past in the mind of God. He will one day follow through with his promise to judge sin. God's faithful righteousness lies behind his judgment of sin. There is no legitimate reason to ever question God's judgment of sin. His faithful righteousness, his holiness lies behind his judgment. Abraham came near and said, he says it in a rhetorical question, which is a statement, and the answer that to be expected to these kinds of questions is no. Of course not. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? There's never any reason to question God's judgment. When he judges, 
it will be right. He's not going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. There's no legitimate reason ever to remind God about the judgment of sin. Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the, with the wicked? Far be it from you to do such a thing. We don't have to remind God that some things are not right. Uh, God, don't do those things. Uh, that's not a proper judgment. Don't do that, God. We don't need to instruct God. We don't need to remind God. Abraham is doing this out of an abundance of love and concern for his nephew and his nephew's family in Sodom. God's judgment will affect the righteous and the wicked differently. We have another truly, truly moment here. Saul, Saul, Martha, Martha, the beginning and the end of the verse. Far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. He repeats those words for emphasis. They point towards the center, treating the righteous and wicked alike. They will not be treated alike. In fact, according to the belief of this church ever since it's been founded and established to this day, we believe that the believer in Christ is judged separately from that great white throne judgment. We, that we believe that the believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as it's called, not the great white throne. And the believer is not going to be judged according to their sins written down in a book. They're going to be judged for the works that they have done in the body as part of the church, the bride and body of Christ. It's not a question of sin for the believer. It's a question of reward. Our God is so good. Imagine that. We owe him everything. There is nothing that we do not owe him. And yet he rewards us for doing something, sometimes for him. That's absolutely amazing. It boggles my imagination. Why would you ever reward anyone for paying a debt that they owe. Oh, you paid my debt. Here, let me reward you. No, that, that's, that's not the way it works. If you, if you owe something to someone, you shouldn't expect anything back for it. Yet, our God will reward the believer. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul writes. That's the judgment of the righteous. The judgment of the wicked, though, which ends in eternal destruction, separated from God and Christ forever, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, according to the repeated teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's Revelation 20 that we read together. Oh, praise the Lord that you and I will not be part of that great white throne. Thank him daily for that. that he will not be our judge in the sense of rendering punishment, but he'll be our judge in the sense of rendering eternal reward. And it would appear from Scripture that, you know what we do with that reward? We cast it at his feet 
in praise and worship of him because he alone is worthy, the scripture says. God's judgment will always be right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, of course he will. That's the expected answer here. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? When will God never do right? He'll always do right. Do you realize in Islam, Allah is over and over again spoken of as the merciful and benevolent one. Yet there's stories in Quran and Hadith where Allah changes his mind and condemns a righteous man to hell for all eternity. He changes his mind. He did what is wrong. He did what he wanted. That's the God of Islam. That is not the God of biblical Christianity. The God of biblical Christianity, the God of the Bible, will always do right. He will never do wrong. Every judgment he makes is right. Every decision he makes is right. Everything he allows into your life and mine, even the trials, is right. That, that, is, that is incredible. No matter what you and I face, it's the right thing. It's not wrong. Oh, I might do differently. Yeah, I probably would. But I wouldn't be right. I'd be wrong if I wanted something different than what God has planned and designed for my life, for your life, for the life of this church. Everything that happened was right. Doesn't mean every person and every decision within it was righteous, but in the big picture, when eternity dawns and we finally understand, we will understand that God has always done what is right. Adam and Eve did what was wrong in the garden, but that doesn't go back to God. That's not God's fault. God always does what is right. I, I can't tell you what a comfort this is. I mean, it, it, you're no different than I am. We've all faced trials in life. We've all had circumstances and situations that we didn't like, that we wished could be different, that we wish we could change right now with a snap of our finger. But they don't change. We stay in that trial until we learn what God has us to learn. It is right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I remember when my son was, was, was uh, an infant. Uh, he, he was born with a hernia, and it, uh, it never really closed up on its own. And so finally... Uh, uh, he needed surgery. And I still, in my mind's eye, it is vivid. I see the surgeon with his bald head coming out in his scrubs. He actually came out himself, spoke to us, Colette and I, and our son Daniel, and then led Daniel away by the hand. And I remember the look on Daniel's face. There was a little fear and consternation there, being separated from mom and dad, and uh, Colette reassuring him to go, 
with the surgeon. And I remember after the surgery, you know, me, I'd be bedridden now, okay? But he's walking around with a little limp. He's obviously in pain, but he healed fast. I could see his friends. You know, imagine if they could talk at that age and they, and they could understand some things and his friends telling him, your parents are so mean to let that man hurt you like that. And he's a mean man. Look, the children just didn't understand. This was for his ultimate good. This was for the rest of, to be a blessing for the rest of his life. You and I are like those little children. We don't understand everything. The, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses writes, The secret things belong unto the Lord, but the things which he has revealed belong to us and to our children forever, so that we may be careful to do according to all that is written in the law. God hides some things. He reveals other things. The things he reveals is for us to obey. God's judgment will always be right. It was right for us to let that surgeon operate on our son, to cause temporary pain so that the rest of his life would be more successful and he wouldn't have to live with that uh, growing pain from a hernia. The same is true with the trials in our life. They're ultimately for our good. Our Father in heaven always does what right, what is right. Our, our Father in heaven is too loving to ever do anything unkind and too wise to ever make a mistake. He always does what is right, what is perfect, what is holy, what is best for you and I. God's faithful righteousness will result in the judgment of sin. It's not just a potentiality a possibility that may or may not come to pass, it will result in his judgment of sin. God will one day judge sin and none will escape. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah fire from the Lord out of heaven and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of those cities. As Peter wrote, this is an example to the ungodly of a coming judgment. We're thankful that we're not part of that coming judgment because we trusted in Christ, not because of anything good in us, but because of what was good in Christ. We have his righteousness imparted or imputed to us. But brothers and sisters, all the inhabitants of those cities. All the inhabitants of Swansea and Somerset and Fall River and the surrounding communities, Taunton, what, whatever the town is, all the inhabitants who have not trusted Christ, they will not escape this judgment. All your family members who have never trusted in Christ will not escape the coming judgment unless they repent of their sins and turn to him trusting in him for salvation Abraham interceded 
with the Lord on behalf of Lot. He prayed, surely you won't sweep away the righteous with the wicked. And Lot was rescued. How often do you and I pray for our family and extended family, our neighbors, our friends, our community, for those who do not know Christ? Are we prayerful intercessors the way Abraham was? Think about it. None will escape. It's an everlasting judgment. God will judge, and no one who does not trust in Jesus Christ will escape that judgment. God's judgment will not fall on the righteous. Abraham arose and went to the place where he stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And we know that Lot was removed from that city together with his wife and his two daughters before that judgment fell. God's judgment will only fall on Sodom and Gomorrah, not on his children. Looks like some of the slides are not working properly. Excuse me. Okay, God will remember and spare the righteous. When God destroyed the cities, God remembered not just Lot. It says God remembered Abraham and Abraham's prayer on behalf of Lot and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. How often do you pray for others for their salvation? the way Abraham did? Do you really engage with God, pleading with God for the salvation of those that you love? God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst. I'll tell you one thing that praying earnestly for the lost will do. It'll not only improve your prayer life, It'll not only cause you to fall to your knees more and pray, but eventually, when that truth of the coming judgment really, really grips your heart, not only is it going to move your heart and your mind to pray, it's going to move your lips to speak. It's going to move your hands to give out gospel tracts. It's going to move your lips, your voice to speak to those who you pray Eventually that'll happen. As you develop earnestness in prayer for the lost, it's going to change the way and the frequency that you share the gospel. In conclusion, we've seen that God is a faithful and righteous judge of sin. We've seen him revealed in that way so powerfully in this passage. We've seen also that one day all of us will stand before the righteous judge. We'll either stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive reward or we will stand before the great white throne in judgment before God. Let me read these verses. You don't have to join in. I want you to focus on the wording. 
Let the impact of this. I, I, I've known people who've ha- been gifted as evangelists, one man in particular, and when he would read these verses, tears would come down his cheeks for the lost. He would share the gospel at every possible opportunity to complete strangers. Most of them rejected him. But there was an impact of these verses on him that moved him to tears. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. No place to hide. There will be no place to hide. The prophets in the Old Testament said they will pray for the rocks and the hills to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of God in judgment. There will be no escaping it. It is a rendezvous with destiny of all the lost. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Today, will you begin to remind yourself daily that God is your righteous judge? He will be faithful in that judgment. And will you begin today to daily remind yourself to live in light of that coming judgment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for the power of your word. Uh, We thank you for the message that's contained in it. And oh Lord, this, this was not a fun passage. We all acknowledge that. None of us thought, oh goody, Judgment is coming. And what we thank you so much for the gift of your beloved son and his salvation that you have rescued us from the end that fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah that we will not also experience the lake of fire. Not because of anything in us, but because of what you, Lord Jesus, have done. Oh, Lord, we ask you, would you be pleased to help us to remember each day of this coming judgment that you are our judge? And will you help us to live in light of that judgment? May we be changed by the reminder that one day we will give an account of ourselves to you and we will have no defense. Everything you judge will be right. And we will know that we are wrong with nothing to offer. 
nothing to excuse ourselves. Would you be pleased to remind us daily, yea, even moment by moment, of these precious truths so that in light of these things, our lives might be more holy and more devoted to you. Be pleased to accomplish all this, we pray, not for any heavenly reward for us, but for your eternal glory and honor. Amen.